0: Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour
1: with your hosts Kim and Tiffer. Today we're going to be talking about the causes of the Revolutionary War. So to start with, let's kind of do just kind of a general, talk about the general situation of the colonies at that time.
0: I think we should go all the way back and just touch on King George's War from 1744 to 1748 just to kind of prime the pump. That is when England and France were fighting over uh, trading rights with the Native Americans, and England cut off the French supplies. And so this is kind of where it ignited the French to dislike England at the time, and that then led to the French and Indian War, or the Seven Years' War that started in 1763.
1: Yeah, so in that war, that was also kind of started, I think there were kind of two parts. There was a trade part where France was trying to get trade rights with the mm-hmm. Indians, and they basically said, hey, you can only trade with us. And a lot of the Indians were saying, yeah, no, no thanks. You know, we'll trade with who we want to. And then the kind of the second part was that France started going into these back territories, so west of the Appalachian Mountains, probably the Ohio River Valley. They started putting forts in there so they just started claiming territory said hey this is ours now and that kind of made both the colonists and the british upset so
0: this was a huge war some some people say this was the first world war but it was all over the globe it was in india it was in europe it was north america south america africa philippines and it was everywhere and because it was everywhere and involved so many different places, it was very expensive.
1: Yeah, crazy expensive, and not only that, but I I think that uh, it also set the tone for Britain saying, hey, we're going to commit forces over in the colonies so that we don't, you know, lose our colonies, so they sent a whole bunch of troops there, they wanted to station 10,000 troops, so in addition to having this world war where they got a lot of debts to pay, they also had... 10,000 troops that they wanted to regularly keep stationed in the colonies. So then they had to come up with a way to pay for all of that.
0: Right. And at the end of the Seven Years' War, there was kind of a big inflammatory act (laughs) called, or the Proclamation Line of 1763. And that was that settlers could not settle west of the Appalachian Mountains. That was in the Treaty of Paris, at the end of the Seven Years War, and that was really frustrating to a lot of Americans or colonists at the
1: time yeah, it really was because for a lot of them there there was a company called the Ohio Company, and that was where a bunch of colonists had gotten together and they had put plans into effect to go settle that Ohio uh, river valley so they had uh, been planning this I think you know since seventeen forties to go out and make a bunch of money, send out the you know, surveyors and start divvying up the land. And that's how a lot of people were planning on making their money. You know, a lot of the colonists. I, I know that George Washington was one of the ones he was involved. He had a stake in the Ohio Company. He was planning on doing that. But a lot of the, uh, we'll call them the upper class colonists, that's how they were planning on making money. Oh, it was that really expansion. fertile land. Oh, very fertile. It was,
0: I mean, America's breadbasket now. It was... It was going to be a really productive place, they thought.
1: Yeah, so they're thinking that that's going to be kind of their expansion, you know, out to the uh, West and their way of making money. Because keep in mind, too, they had tons of restrictions against them. They were not allowed to have a lot of their own industries. The industries Mm -hmm. were all in England and Great Britain, and the colonists could send their goods over there, it's a mercantile system where the colonists would send goods over to Britain. Britain would manufacture them and send them back for the colonists to buy. So they couldn't compete in industries. They were not allowed to. So this was how they were going to make their money. And then England decided, hey, it's easier for us. You know, We'll uh, make peace with the Indians this way. And then the colonists thought, hey, we're we're getting the rough end of this deal. So that was something that made them pretty mad in addition to You know, the taxes that started coming in.
0: Well, another thing before they started levying the taxes at the Treaty of Paris is Britain was technically the winner of this war, but they got a huge chunk of land in the Americas. They got Florida from Spain and Canada from France and this huge stretch east of the Mississippi and, I mean, and west of the Appalachian Mountains. So, but under the Proclamation Line of 1763, they couldn't even use what they had won in the war.
1: Yeah, it it really was. That was something I think that made a lot of people upset.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in addition to that, there was, the, I think, a lot of the colonists did actually start expanding out to the yeah, west. I don't think they listened. They they <laughs> didn't listen and. Some of their, the people who did that got their houses burned down by the British. Like that was no. the retaliation is, you know, if you do this and we catch you, they would essentially punish these people for doing that.
0: So after the war, it cost so much money that the interest rate to pay back the debt that they had took national. I mean half of the national budget. So just the interest that they had to pay back, not the rate, I'm sorry, but just the interest was half of the national budget. And so they had to get money, and so they found some really creative ways to make money that were not appreciated by the colonists.
1: Yeah, and it's really hard contextually for me to think of a lot of these things as being that bad just because of the way taxes are nowadays. <laughs> we're, it feels like we're taxed on everything. On everything. But at the time, for these colonists... These were brand-new taxes, and uh, not just taxes. In addition to the tax, there were restrictions on what they could do and what they could trade.
0: Right. But they couldn't, they couldn't like, increase their revenue by you know manufacturing things on their own and creating their own industry because they had to have Britain create the manufacturing portion. They would give raw materials to Britain – and then Britain would create products out of those materials. So they couldn't even increase, like, their own industry that way. They were a little held back.
1: Yeah, so they, have, they already had some complaints there. And one of the things I think, I think it was John Adams that stated is, like, if you look at the way we're kind of taxed already, mm-hmm. we are taxed in, you know, we have to buy our goods from Great Britain. We have to sell our goods to Great Britain. If we were able to sell to other people, we could make more money. If we were able to buy from other people, we could make more money. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a way, we're already being taxed by these by measures. And, and we would like to get credit for that, is what he said. Uh, but it wasn't enough, so they you know, introduced a lot of these other taxes.
0: Ooh, let's talk about them.
1: So I think one of the first ones was it, it, uh, It's called the Revenue Act of 1764, but it was just called the Sugar Act because it primarily dealt with like sugars and molasses, molasses. and uh, stuff like that.
0: Which actually, it lowered the taxes on them, but it just enforced them. It enforced the taxes, because people hadn't really been paying these taxes.
1: And it wasn't just the taxes, so there was a lot of smuggling and stuff that was going on, mm-hmm. and this was when they kind of said, hey, we're going to put our foot down. Yeah. no more smuggling, we want you to go through. Kind of play by the rules, but they did have, you know, taxes that they started levying and duties. I think is what they were calling them. like every time you, you know, buy some sugar or molasses, you know, you you give okay. us some money. And,
0: and another quick reminder is that they have had colonia's colonial colonists. Oh my word, for about 150 years. Yeah, so they've been living in a particular way with a particular understanding about how life was. And now they're starting to get more heavy-handed in a way that they've never done before.
1: And and I'm glad you said that because that brings up a point that I kind of wanted to make is that one of the issues that they had with some of these laws is that these only applied to the colonists. Mm -hmm. So when these new laws were coming in, the colonists are feeling like they're being targeted, like this stuff isn't affecting the people in Great Britain. This is specifically for the colonists. And one of the things, if you go back to, you know, they've been colonists for 150 years. When they initially went out, there were things like the Virginia Charter. And they had agreements from previous administrations over in Great Britain, previous kings, that said that all these colonists will get the same rights and privileges as citizens of Great Britain. So they feel like they're not getting the same rights and privileges. So these taxations Mm. that are happening are only happening to them and not to the citizens of Great Britain. And the other thing that they bring up is, you know, we're supposed to have representation. There's nobody representing us. You know, this stuff coming through Parliament, we have no vote, no say, no anything. Mm -hmm. So, So you'll hear that no taxation without representation. That's their big issue is we don't even get to decide. You're just forcing this, and the people who are paying these taxes have no say.
0: So the Stamp Act was another big one. Where all printed materials had to be stamped, and then you were charged for that stamp. That <laughs> one is was, crazy to me. But this is the point where the colonies started working together because all of the colonies were pretty individual at this point, and up until this point, and then they are like, "Hey, uh, Massachusetts, this is stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, New York, this is stupid, right? Like." and then they started working together and that's what led to the d- declaratory um where they repealed the stamp act but
1: yeah there was something called the declaratory act and the for, declaratory thanks
0: for knowing how to say stuff
1: <laughs> so i'm i'm hoping that's the way to say it i'm just guessing there i'm going to call it the declaratory the act <laughs> but the the Declaratory Act, mm. they they repealed the Stamp Act and then put out this Declaratory Act at the same time. Yeah, and they repealed the Stamp Act. Uh, there was a a big response from the Stamp Act, so there were riots that happened in Boston. The state of Virginia, they they got together and they put out a re- Virginia resolve that just said, "You don't even have the right to taxes." Right, and. Patrick Henry was pretty, you know, he, he was given his rhetoric, you know, against the state and said, that, look, you guys, anybody who's trying to tax us without our representation, you know, is uh, essentially uh, an enemy to the colonists. So he's putting out a lot of inflammatory rhetoric for this. There's riots going on in Boston. In, in addition to that, the uh, parliament, called Benjamin Franklin to come before Parliament and explain what was going on. So he happened to be in England, and in February of 1766, they called him in to speak about the, essentially the Stamp Acts and the response to the Stamp Acts. And he gave what I thought was an awesome response. Like There were a ton of questions and uh, stuff, but they, they basically said that after his... Uh, it's not a speech, but after his session with Parliament that they had decided pretty much then and there to repeal the Stamp Act. So he gave a very good explanation of why they hated the Stamp Act and what the response was. So they got rid of it, but then they had what they called that declaratory act, and in that they said... All right, we're not doing the Stamp Act, but we want to make sure that you know that we have, and that this is a quote from it, the full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force and validity to bind the colonies and people of America, subjects of the crown of Great Britain, in all cases whatsoever. And, and at the time, people were just pretty happy that the Stamp Act was gone. Right. But that rhetoric that in all cases whatsoever you will find that once you hit the 1770s, that pops up all the time. Like, mm-hmm. that is one of the big things that they're bringing up, saying, like, you think you get to do whatever you want. You said, you know, in all cases whatsoever, and here's our response to that. But.
0: Well, they'd already been having, like, starting riots over the Stamp Act. They had riots, and there's, I mean, people were obviously already charged up this before this even happened. And back to when Franklin was talking um, to Parliament and they, he was saying, they were like, what did people think of us before? He's like, oh, we loved you. Well, how do they think of us now? Oh, that's changed. <laughs>
1: yeah. Very much altered <laughs> is what it is.
0: Uh, And And so people were already incited, I guess is the word I'm going to pick. They were already angry. And then... Here comes more fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, so after the the Stamp Act got repealed, they still, you know, they need money and yeah, revenue, so changed. they came up with a, a different act, and it was called the Townsend Acts. So that's in 1767. They created the Townsend Acts, and that was to, you know, essentially get money from the colonists to help pay for the, you know, war. And in it, they were let, uh, levying taxes on lead and paint, paper, glass, and tea. tea. And the response to that was also pretty rough. Like there was a full boycott in, you know, Boston and New York and several other uh, major cities, where they just said, "We will no longer take British goods."
0: Yeah, they would shove them away.
1: They would shove them away, mm-hmm. send them away, and, and not only were, these that... these were but, big
0: tea-drinking colonists. Like, they <laughs> they liked their tea.
1: They they liked their tea, but they figured they can do without what they called them. So Ben Franklin, I think he called them, like, these are, what you guys give us are luxuries. We can yeah. do without it. So if you don't send us stuff, we're going to be fine. Uh, and, and that's what they did, you know, in response to these Townsend Acts, and some of it was pretty ruthless, like the... People would get together, and if they caught anybody trading with the British, they would name them in the newspapers. They would go yeah. uh, staple, you know, notes on their door, and the response to to a lot of those people being named in the newspapers, like the very next day, they would take out their own advertisement saying, "Yeah, I did this. I'm sorry, and I'm giving everything I, you know, got from the British. I'm giving that to the public good." Like people were pretty afraid of the responses of these
0: which has to it has to show you just how everyone was feeling at that time just how volatile that was and how charged it already was at this point that people are afraid of at least a portion of the public response like there's there's fear here there's like adrenaline here there's something already happening and this is in like 1767, eight. Like we're we're charged. Yeah,
1: this is and and it kind of leads up to the Boston Massacre. So, in, re, in response to the a, a lot of these riots and things that are happening, they the the British decide to send troops to Boston to help um, keep the keep people the under peace. control. Mm-hmm. So the troops move into Boston, they put about something like 1,500 troops and have them stationed in Boston. And that was, I think, in 1768. And so, for a couple of years, things aren't, you know, terrible, things aren't too bad, but, and I say that not really knowing, like, they're not that bad <laughs> we compared to what's about to happen. You know, but they, what
0: about, they already have the Quartering Act. Why don't you, Explain how that originally was because that's about to change later, but they have all of these troops sent to Boston and they leave it to the colonies to find out where to put all these troops. Yeah,
1: so in 1765 there was something called the Quartering Act that was enacted and what the Quartering Act basically said is, We're going to have troops that are going to be stationed in the colonies, and you colonists have to find a place for these guys to stay. Right. And and it wasn't that they could go stay in anybody's house or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but it was...
0: You have to make your own barracks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You
1: guys have to provide a barracks. You have to provide places for them to, you know, live.
0: And originally this was because they were there for their own protection, but now we're kind of shifting where they're not there for their own protection, they're there to calm them down. Yeah,
1: they're they're not there for the, the colonist protection. They're right. there for the British, yes. you know, protection it's
0: shifted. And so now these people are still required to house and take care of these troops that are there to make sure they don't throw tantrums.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> the, the the troops aren't very welcome, nope. and there's a lot of like verbal clashing and stuff that's going on. A, a lot of conflict that happens, and it mm-hmm. just kind of boils to a point where. In March of 1770, there's the Boston Massacre. Mm -hmm. So the Boston Massacre started. There's like one or two British troops that are, you know, out and about. And people start...
0: Teasing them.
1: Teasing them, taunting them.
0: Throwing snowballs.
1: And, yeah, Mm -hmm. they throw snowballs. And essentially, you know, that builds to rocks. Well, it gets aggravated by the the townspeople start ringing the church bells and banging on drums and... And more and more people start showing up, and
0: so they get more and more military. Yeah, somebody militia. runs to
1: the to the military base that's mm-hmm. close, and eight you know eight troops end up showing up. So there's I think eight guys and uh, an officer that end up there, and the, the both sides are well, I don't I don't know too much about the British. I assume that they're probably more afraid of things because there's. Uh, somewhere in the lines of like 400 civilians who are mm-hmm. uh, basically surrounding these troops and potentially, you know, throwing snowballs and rocks and yeah,
0: turned to rocks.
1: And it gets pretty heated to the point where there's a discharge of a firearm against the colonists.
0: Right, and then the there's no clear story here. Yep, there's so many different accounts. that nobody but the people who were there really know, and there's a good chance they didn't even know, which is why there's so many different accounts.
1: But anyway, what happens at, you know, firearms are discharged, three people pretty much die immediately, two more die, one dies, I think, the next day, one like two weeks later, Mm -hmm. and the people are crazy mad. And they call the governor, who is essentially representing the, the British. They call him that same day. He comes down and he tries to defuse the situation. Right. And he says, you know. nobody
0: took this video on their cell phone. Yeah. Nobody knows what really happened, including the people who were actually there.
1: <laughs> and it's one of those situations where you're not sure how much you can trust you know, the people saying, oh, yeah, for both sure. Both sides
0: are mad.
1: Yeah, both sides yeah. are mad, and I'm sure that they're claiming the other side did everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it ends up going to trial. They they end up putting these guys on trial. So the government oh, yeah. promises, "Hey, we're going to do justice for these guys." They And
0: tell who the lawyer was.
1: The lawyer for uh the the troops was John, John Adams. Adams, you know, future president John Adams. <laughs> and he represented the uh troops and and he got them off. All two of them got convicted, but their punishment I think was they were like branded on the thumb. Yeah. So so people were worried that they were going to, you know, be be killed essentially cuz to, to some people they committed murder and John Adams was saying, "Look, you know, you have this, you know, unruly crowd, they're throwing things, you, you know, you would have done the same sort of thing." And and he gets them, you know, essentially off, but he also brings up the point of, you know, this is what happens when you got standing armies in civilian areas in a time of peace. Like, this is not a good thing. So you'll end up kind of seeing that when you get into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. A lot of these things, these what we'll call grievances against the British, play out later. Mm -hmm. You'll hear them brought up in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as they're thinking about all the things that they had gone through. So after that Boston Massacre things did kind of settle down. I, I think they took some of the troops out of Boston so that they wouldn't have this sort of thing and for several years there isn't anything huge major going yeah. on. I'm sure there is a, a lot of, you know, rhetoric and stuff, but there's nothing really too major going on. Until about 1773 there was something it's called the Tea Act
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that one is really interesting to me.
0: Right, because it doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, because what it's doing, it, it's not actually a tax on, on tea. The tax on tea already existed from the Townsend Acts. Mm-hmm. The the Tea Act basically let, at the time, the, um, the Dutch East India Company, when it would get its tea, it would have to go to uh, England first, sell it there essentially – and then they would load it up again and then take it over to the colonies. And they took out that step and said, yeah, you can just go straight to the colonies. And it actually made tea so much less expensive. Right. It it would have been a lot cheaper to buy tea after this act, but it did have uh, a tax or a duty placed on it. For mm-hmm. every you know crate of tea that was sold, you had to pay this much in tax. So even though you were paying... Less money overall. There still was this feeling from the colonists of, this is an unfair tax. You know, we don't, right? We don't like this.
0: And it was the British East India Company, yes. Yeah,
1: the British East mm-hmm. India Company, not the not the Dutch East India Company. So in and in addition, it was also one of those things where they said, okay, and we're going to start enforcing. You know, no more, no more bypassing. No more smuggling, mm-hmm. and, and they started doing more enforcement along those lines. A- in addition, they also said, "Hey, look, you know, we're gonna if you if we get you for smuggling, we're not gonna try you in your colony. We're gonna take you somewhere else, and because they they felt like they weren't maybe getting justice, you know, if they
0: right put you in
1: front of a jury of your peers mm-hmm. in Boston."
0: And they, you can see that in the Constitution. Yep. You see, because jurisdiction becomes a huge thing in America in the future because of things like this, where jurisdiction didn't exist. They yeah. would take you wherever worked best for them.
1: One of the uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence, John Hancock, he had, had his ship taken from him, yes, and he had to, he, he was, was tried a smuggler. Yeah. Well, there were lots of smugglers. There were lots of smugglers. <laughs> I think
0: Samuel Adams was a smuggler, too. Yeah,
1: and I think John Adams might have been. I think there were a lot of yeah. uh, potential smugglers back then. I think then.
0: in the time it probably felt more like you were just very industrious and, and like, capable of making your own business, and I'm an entrepreneurial. I wonder if it felt as sneaky, given that it took so long to get information from the Americas to britain and then back i wonder if they were just like well i gotta do this we need this i'm just gonna go do this and then it ended up working out so it just never became a thing due to how slow it was to communicate anything or get actual products
1: yeah i could also see it to me in my mind and, and i don't have anything to back this up but in my mind a lot of it would have been in response like what what england is doing isn't fair and just so you know you they're saying that we're not allowed to have our own industries rebellious. and we've got to do this so we got to figure out some way to be industrious we can't yeah. just you know be you servants of the british
0: if you think about it if if this was happening on such a high scale there had to have been a market for it people had yeah. to have been buying it which had to have been a need And so I wonder what would have happened if people hadn't done this, if people wouldn't have, I mean, maybe they're luxury items and it wouldn't have mattered so much, but I guess they were kind of being rebellious because they were already kind of cut off from some of these things.
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of, there were acts of rebellion outside of the rebellion itself, the smuggling. I Mm -hmm. think that was just kind of an act of rebellion. I try to
0: make it not in my head. I try to make it be like, no, these were outstanding good members of society who weren't breaking any rules.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I don't I don't no. know that that's necessarily true. Although, in, in my opinion, there would be basically a mix. Yeah. So you'd have.
0: You don't uh, hear a lot of stories about George Washington.
1: Yeah. He, he seems like one of the more reasonable.
0: He, he had his life in order in a different way, I suppose. But yeah. he was also in the military. Fascinating enough, Rewind. If you go back to the Seven Years' War, he was a lieutenant colonel at 22 in the Seven Years' War, the very that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, if I recall, he was was involved in like the first battle
1: of, and and he was only like something 20, 21, 22 something at the time, and he was involved in one of the first
0: battles. So people are angry about this Tea Act. And a lot of places were having their shipments of tea and um, other products come in, and they would just send them away. They didn't want British products. They would send them away. But in Boston, they had a really unique situation happen because the governor of Massachusetts was, was really a British loyalist, and he was like, no, ships, you stay. You can stay here, ships. And so there ended up being three. There were three th- ships that came in to the area. It was the Dartmouth, um, the Eleanor, and the Beaver. And some of these ships were owned by people who lived in the colonies. But people did not want the tea off of these ships, and they had meetings about it.
1: Yeah, the people wanted to send them away, and the governor said, I'm not letting them leave. Yeah. And they, the first one that came in... They started having the town meetings and saying, hey, what are we going to do about this? And what the governor said was, uh, he said, after 20 days, you're paying you the tax. You have to pay the
0: tax when they land. It doesn't even matter if they offload. It's just when they get there, you're paying the tax 20 days after.
1: So uh, essentially 20 you know days after that first ship landed, they, they had the... I don't know if it was the owner or the captain of the ship, but they sent him to the governor to basically ask, like, please let me leave. And the governor said, nope, you're, you're staying and they're paying the tax.
0: Maybe that was another reason. Maybe because their local person was so against what the local people wanted that that was another reason for their anger. I just keep trying to understand that part.
1: So that part does make a lot of sense to me, and I think you'll see it uh, later, where you do kind of get this feeling of the the British are trying to—I don't want to say you know beat the resistance out of it, but they—that's <laughs> kind of the way it is. Is there's a retaliatory act that happens that it is simply you know we're going to get you under control. Like this isn't about doing, you know, anything just or right. This is simply, you guys are out of control, and we're going to get you under control. To me, that there was a little bit of that. That's what I think the governor of why he wouldn't let him leave. Why he wouldn't let him Mm -hmm. leave is, you know, somebody's got to take a stand, and you know, this is the law of the land, and I'm going to enforce it, like it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think the colonists are saying, if they leave, you know, we're following the law. You know, like we're not paying taxes on, you know, because we didn't take anything, and he's saying, no, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you pay the tax. Right. And that. It would
0: be so fascinating to know what side you would be on at the time, because here's the governor who's like, you know, this is the way it's done, he's been appointed by the king to be here, like, this is his job to do this, and yet the people he is governing absolutely hate it.
1: Yeah, and and uh, they don't care much for him. No. Back after the, uh, I think it was towns- the towns mm-hmm. uh They they ran the governor out of his mansion. They went to his <laughs> house, so broke mad. his windows, took his all his you know silverware and whatever, and they ran him out. That's
0: Probably why he hated them too. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I'm sure there's some mutual hate between uh-huh. the two. But anyway, after that 20 days, it, it, you know, come day 20, they decide to have a town meeting, and in the town meeting, Samuel Adams just basically says, hey, these meetings aren't getting us what we want. Right. And that seemed to be a signal. And this
0: was the fascinating, this is the most fascinating part of this whole event for me, is they had like a a code that they say, and that was like an invitation to people, and the code was, this meeting can do nothing more to save the country. So that was like... The code phrase for people to dress up and as Native Americans and go to the wharf and uh, like because they didn't want to show anybody who they were so that everyone could be like I don't know who they were who who did this with you yep. I don't know because everyone was dressed up and so they did this <laughs> and I just thought. I want to know, because this is where my brain goes. I just think, how did they even do this? Did they, like, have little slips of paper that were, like, left on people's doors that were, like, here's the thing? Like, or did they have meetings? Like, that's where my head goes for this. But they ended up meeting at the wharf, going onto these ships, and dumping the tea into the harbor for the famous Boston Tea Party.
1: Yeah, and there were, I think, hundreds of people who went onto those ships to dump the goods. So there were, I think, 5,000 people who showed up at the meeting. Wow. 5,000 people showed up at the meeting, and they were angry. And once the signal happened, and it, my understanding is that it was, you know, they had been having meetings since the ship came in, you know, 20 wow. days before saying, hey, what are we going to do? And I my assumption is that they had planned this out in those meetings, but I don't. I, that would be really interesting it would be to so. know. So
0: I that's what I'd wanna see. I would wanna see those words said and see how the crowd disperses <laughs> and see when they meet back up. Because they I mean this was organized. Yeah. But absolutely disorganized at the same time. And so I think that would have been amazing to see. It and
1: And the the disorganized part see it it was pretty organized, so I, I if yes. I recall it was something like three o'clock in the afternoon when they had the meeting and within a couple hours Yeah, everyone everybody knew when to
0: meet back ready. Yeah. And they have their outfit.
1: And they like, how yep. many
0: people have this spare outfit at home that to dress like a Native American and that they did. They had their outfits. I imagine that they had like face paint to keep themselves Yeah, I, I can't remember what but they I, said it was.
1: you know, something like cold. dust. You yeah. know, it it was something that they were using to paint their faces, mm-hmm. and and it worked. One guy, I think, got arrested. Yeah. And like you were saying, they didn't know who the others were. Like, Plausible this was intentional. <laughs> like, I don't know.
0: Yep. And <laughs> Go check everyone's house for some coal dust and some, some costumes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, and then they went and threw, you know, the tea into the wharf or into the water.
0: Which made everybody on the British team super mad because I mean I imagine because as a mom I'm like hey nerds just like get in line like quit quit being rebellious children like this is for your own good and so I imagine it was very frustrating
1: oh I'm I'm sure and they the response to it that they had was pretty heavy-handed So they came out, we call it the Intolerable Acts. It was also called the Coercive Acts, Mm -hmm. and they came out with a number of those. I think there were four or five acts that they enacted in response
0: to this Boston Tea Party. And one of them was the Massachusetts Governance Act, which kind of impacted the way that they could govern themselves now because – like, scolding a child they hadn't proven themselves, like, that they could take care. But as a mother, I'm like, absolutely. Like, this is what I would do. Be like, shame on you. Like, I'm in charge of your decisions now. because yeah. You've not shown me you can. But going back to that they've had so much autonomy, and now here's this party that they're perfectly aware of trying to, you know, Totally changed things. Yeah, so
1: that Massachusetts Government Act, what that did was you, you had the governor and the lieutenant governor, and they were appointed by the British. But then there were local uh, governments and local authorities, like judges and sheriffs and people like that. Those were appointed by the locals. So that was the way that they were able to say they had their own representation mm-hmm. in government, is they kind of had this local government. So all the big stuff was coming from the governor and lieutenant governor and from the British, essentially. But they had control over small aspects. And with this act that happened, the British came in and they stripped everybody of office and appointed all new judges and sheriffs Mm -hmm. and, you know, whoever else. The entire system got put, you know, changed to be pro-British people. Mm -hmm. And
0: And unabashedly, just like, yep. (laughs) <laughs> we're totally changing these people. And, but that went in conjunction with the Boston Port Act, which is where they blocked all trade from the Boston Harbor, and the oh, they only allowed imports from the British Army. So they were already, like, I mean, chopping them off <laughs> yeah. from the outside world. And then they changed their government, and then they have – the Act for Impartial Administration of Justice, which I think is has to do with jurisdiction.
1: Yeah, so that one was a, another. Is you don't get a local trial anymore.
0: Yeah, because right? your local judge likes you. Yeah.
1: It, yeah. It says, look, if we can't have an indifferent trial here, then we'll move you somewhere else. <laughs>
0: we'll <love> you somewhere. <laughs> To where you can,
1: and then they made a second. So they had a quartering act that mm-hmm. they enacted. So they had already had the quartering act that says, "Hey, you have to find a place to put the troops." And this new quartering act was, "We're going to find a place to put the troops." So previously, right. what they had done was the colonists would find a convenient spot a convenient for spot outside of town or farther from the center of town. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere that worked better for the colonists in some place where they're putting them in maybe like the less expensive real estate and this is saying no we'll put them in the center of town we'll put them wherever we want wherever we say you have to put them right and and uh, my understanding is they weren't kicking people out of their house or anything but they were saying we got to be in the center of town
0: yeah i you... don't know this one either but i know that there's a big thing that said that like people were forced to house them in their homes if that is true which i have not I don't know much about that part this is when it would have happened is at this quartering act not the one before but this one and from what I understand there's not a whole lot of information saying that that's the case
1: yeah I, I that that's one of the acts that I have I've read through some of the acts yeah completely like going back to the stamp act it's kind of ridiculous to read they have I think like 80 cases where they're just line by line saying, if you have a piece of paper that you use to have a will, then you owe us this much. If you have a piece of paper to make a pamphlet, you owe us this much. If you have a piece of paper to do this, you owe us this much. Which
0: is hilarious because we are definitely taxed on all of those things.
1: Yeah, that's exactly why it's uh, that part's a little hard (laughs) to understand because we've already... like it seems mm-hmm. almost lenient in some cases <laughs> compared to what we did. Your tax for buying
0: the paper, your tax for printing on the paper, your tax pa- tax for delivering the paper. Yeah,
1: they even had something like uh if you make a half a piece of paper, you know, you owe oh, us no. this much. <laughs> if it, if it's not in English, you owe us double. Like they had a lot of weird wow. things in there and, and it it really So I I've, I've read through some but that the quartering Act I have not read through that one. But that the big thing they say with that is it was the British got to decide where the troops got stationed. Well, the
0: British are in charge of everything at this point. Yeah. So it really is kind of funny that, I mean, they didn't maybe even have to say this part because now they're in charge and they would be in charge of this even if they didn't make it an act because they'd replaced everybody.
1: Yeah, and there were some other things too. Like if you read some of the rhetoric that, that that's coming over from the British side, from Parliament and the King, at this point they are treating, we'll, we'll just say Boston at this point, yeah. You know this particular no, it, group it, of it colonists as kids.
0: But, but it was, they're mad at Boston.
1: <laughs> yeah, so some of them were specific. So the Massachusetts Government Act right. and Boston Poor's Act, those Act were to everybody. specific. But the other ones were, you know, colony-wide. they not wide. these
0: little kids be in charge anymore. They've, they've shown they can't
1: do yeah. that. Yeah. And, and there was a big response to this as well, so... George Washington, he was one of the ones involved with this, but in July of 1774 they passed the Fairfax Resolves in Virginia and they basically said several things. Uh, First is we're going to explain to the British what our grievances are essentially. Uh, We're going to propose that we, you know, everybody ban British goods, uh, call for the colonists to come together. So this is what prompted the First Continental Congress, is they, they were getting so upset, they said, hey, look, we've got to get all the colonists together, so get your representatives and we will meet. And they did have the First Continental Congress later that year. But even before, I think, the uh, First Continental Congress happened, the British started taking steps to disarm the colonists Mm-hmm. So, as part of these, you, you know, coercive acts, intolerable acts, they also gave the governors permission, you know, whatever it takes to put down these, you know, rebellions and riots. Mm-hmm. And what they, one of the things that happened was, in, in this was, or er, er, September of 1774, the British went and seized a bunch of gunpowder. From a gunpowder store in, it's called Quarry Hill, but it's about five miles out of Boston. So at right. the time, the gunpowder was pretty, uh, it, like.
0: Very, very explosive. Very explosive. Very volatile. 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 Willing, willing to ignite with its own friction. Like, so, this is a dangerous product to have. So they had these houses that housed them far away from people.
1: Yeah, so there was one five miles outside of Boston, and they showed up and took everything. And the, the it this was in 1774. The locals got so mad, they gathered, like, 20,000 people from around Boston, and they were wow. ready, but they, they didn't really know what to do. They didn't do anything at the time. They rallied together and then kind of just went well, home.
0: And because what kind of opposition are you going to have with 20,000 people against, like, this <laughs> – Six yeah. guys that are guarding it. I don't know how many people there were, but this wasn't. It, it would have been less deal. than
1: 20,000, but I'm not sure all these 20,000 were armed.
0: <laughs> they might not have been armed, but it's still. I mean, if number I one, 20, all their gunpowder just got taken.
1: <laughs> so they were a little short on gunpowder, but they were pretty mad. And there was something else that happened, and I don't remember exactly when this was, but this was in Boston where they. The, the governor, uh, I, I think it was the governor, it might have been the mayor of Boston, but they said, look, if you will turn in your weapons, we'll let you leave. Yeah. And they collected, like, over 2,000 muskets, and then they didn't let those people leave. They just took their, you know, That's guns from one them. one of the
0: reasons guns are protected in the Second Amendment.
1: Yeah. And so there's a... Uh, a history there, and it also kind of leads up to you know Paul Revere's ride oh,
0: was was something so fascinating. similar.
1: You know <laughs> that that was another case where they the British decided to come for the arms and the gunpowder, but this time the colonists were ready.
0: Right, and this only happened a few months after they stole all the gunpowder. So that happened in September, and then Paul Revere's ride is December twelfth, seventeen seventy four. So he has to, oh, wait. So that one's that actually one's a separate one. So that, that one rewind, to me was crazy rewind. interesting. <laughs> That's not the one. That's, that was 1775. This is, this is more about.
1: <laughs> this was Go a on. Paul Revere's <laughs> ride. So on December 12th of 1774, Paul Revere rode to New Hampshire, right. which was it like was a 65-mile ride. Uh, and he did it in like a day and a half. And he shows up and he tells people, the the British are going to come for your weapons. Mm-hmm. And what happened? The response was, the locals there stormed some forts. So they stormed one fort. Yes. And if I recall, there were only like three British soldiers at this fort. But the British soldiers fired cannons yeah. at at the you know they didn't hit anybody, but they fired cannons at these guys. At, once, before the guys basically came in and took over the fort. And yeah, they took... well, cannons don't
0: work for short range.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and when people know that they're coming, and I part of me suspects they weren't actually trying to kill anybody. I think yeah. they were just trying to, you know, these were a, as much warning shots as anything. But the locals stormed the fort, and they took 100 barrels of gunpowder. And then the next day and they went to a lot of different to fort. Do. And they took 16 cannons, cannons. as well as some gunpowder and some muskets.
0: I just saw the name Paul Revere and got all confused and excited because that's the Paul Revere ride that makes me excited. The yeah. stealing of gunpowder doesn't really thrill me as much <laughs> as the midnight ride of Paul Revere, which, from what I understand, I mean, um, I think we give him a lot more courage than he may have had, but it's still a fun still a fun story
1: yeah that is a fun story and it, it, which is i think is part of the reason I, I think more people have heard of that than you know yeah. like i hadn't this paul revere rides to new hampshire thing oh. was brand new to me uh-huh. and, and to me like it, it that's a pretty big deal but it's not as famous it doesn't uh make it i think into as many history classes but so before we talk about Paul Revere's ride, let's talk yeah. about, like, the first Continental Congress that happened in September of 1774.
0: I was surprised that this happened before war, before any kind of decision of separation was ever made. They were getting together to have their own, like, way to have a government, in a, but not really a government, where they just wanted to sort of talk about things as a group sort of like oh this is annoying yeah Yeah, you're right this is annoying what should we do well we should you know just to talk about it
1: and to keep in mind at this time there was no talk of leaving no great britain or the empire so what they wanted to do in this first one is they put essentially a list of grievances together Mm -hmm. and they send it off to parliament and and the king i I love the way you
0: say
1: it parliament parliament
0: (laughs) (laughs) but georgia didn't come and at I get it, we get so offended. It's like, so weird how that dare that happens. You, Georgia? That's exactly <laughs> what I
1: thought when I found
0: like. Why like, dare you? Only twelve <laughs> or thirteen colonies right. attended. Your citizens weren't being forced to quarter the people in the same way, and you hadn't lost your government. Why didn't you come?
1: Yeah, and there are several reasons that you can get into. Is For like sure. economically, the the North kind of competes with England. The South yes, doesn't
0: the, because of the different. Climate. They are growing entirely different things.
1: Yeah. So, so there is no competition, and and Great Britain needs the resources that the South is growing, and I think they probably needed a lot of the North too. Right. But the the South was uh, more necessary to the British Empire and more friendly because there was no competition. Yeah, in the and North. it
0: probably just involved calmer people too, because even in the North, you've got Boston, who's really agitated and a few other places that are agitated but most of the other places are just kind of not as agitated so the south was probably included. in
1: And, that. and at the time the population of the whole Georgia colony probably would have been roughly the population of Boston. Like, yeah. This was not a, a large colony at the time and in addition they, they had their own fighting going on with Native Americans oh, and so right. they welcomed British troops, and they wanted they wanted the protection. That. Whereas in the north, I think they felt like they could handle it, and they were on top of it. They didn't need the help. Yeah, but yeah, they had
0: already been through so much during the French Indian War that there were teams. They had already picked sides.
1: Yeah, they they had already put their forces into that war, mm-hmm. but that. That was what I thought was really interesting. They had this first Continental Congress, and they weren't, there was no plan on leaving, and they also just said, we're going to send off our grievances, and we will give them a year to respond, and we'll meet back again and have a second Continental Congress.
0: So how did they respond?
1: So the, the response wasn't
0: uh, – <laughs> it, it didn't it went, alleviate any it went of the concerns. really well, and now we are still part of the British – we're still British colonies.
1: <laughs> yeah. So in like January of 1775, uh they sent a, a resolution that it was proposed by Parliament and it declared that any colony that con- contributed to the common defense and provided support would be relieved of paying taxes or duties except those necessary, you know, to regulate commerce. That uh that was rejected by the colonies in July because they felt like it still gave too much power. You know, they they weren't getting what they wanted. They weren't getting their representation. they They wanted the
0: representation.
1: They were getting essentially the, you know, repeal of the Stamp Act, which they knew would just resolve, you know, then the Townsend Act will come out. Yeah. So they they didn't want this to just be a perpetual thing where, yeah, okay, we'll get rid of the one thing you're mad at, and then we'll wait a little bit and just make Make you another another thing that you're mad at. And in addition, in 1775, King George basically said, all right, Massachusetts is in full rebellion now. Yeah. And you have all, you know, all manner, you know, anything you can do to put that down, go ahead and do it. And that was in.
0: Right. Uh, it was a, uh, like a free pass. Yeah. They had a free pass to do whatever they wanted.
1: And that. The the response to that, uh, essentially, so in March of 1775, Patrick Henry makes a speech to uh, the Virginia Convention, and he basically, this is where he gives his give me liberty or give me death speech, is this happens before any of the battles have Mm -hmm. happened. Like, I always thought this was after, but this was actually before any of the real battles had happened before lexington concord he says look at the what the british are doing is they you know what what are they doing with their troops they are bringing here the you know all their troops and their navy in here what is what are they doing if not bringing us into you know submission so we're already at war we just don't know it yet is what he's saying so then he gives his you know give me liberty or give me death and i think he brought a lot of people over onto the side of, let's go ahead and fight.
0: which was fascinating because that's like a month, less than a month, before the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And the Battle of Lexington and Concord was the day after the ride of Paul Revere, which I mistakenly got excited about earlier.
1: Well, get excited (laughs) about it now. Like, tell us about Paul Revere's ride So,
0: Paul Revere is a metal worker in the middle of Boston. And he has the famous poem where we kind of learn more about him. But what I didn't know is that there were three main riders that rode out that night. And Paul Revere said that he would put two lanterns in the church tower, which was one of the tallest buildings at the time in Boston, probably by far. Um, And then there was Samuel Prescott. I'm sorry, I've skipped ahead. See, it just goes faster in my brain. (laughs) Two, if they come by sea, and one, if they come by land. So Boston kind of juts out into the water, and there's a connected way by land, but to get over to the other side directly across from the water, it's faster to go across the water. So that is what he was talking about. I had always assumed it meant they were coming from Afar, not from Boston, but they're coming from Boston and they're going out into Massachusetts. So Samuel Prescott goes by land to tell people that they are going by sea. And Paul Revere crosses the little channel area before the British get to, steals the horse, and goes and rides and tells everybody on that pathway that the British are indeed coming. And he would stop at people's houses and he would get off his horse and he would come inside for a minute and he would talk to people and sometimes those people would then disperse and go ride and, and tell other people. And there was a, another man named William Dawes who also went off, but there is someone named Israel Bissell, who went off and Sybil Ludington who also rode off. So there were a lot of riders, but um, Paul Revere just
1: he made it into the poem
0: (laughs) he made it into the poem but him and samuel prescott met back up and they kept going along that road until they were finally captured and my i need to be a little bit better i was better before on my information about his capture because i can't remember if both or just him were captured um by the british troops and um
1: that was the British troops that were on their way to Lexington and Concord, right?
0: No, they were the ones already there.
1: They were already there. Yeah. So that wasn't the force that was coming in. That was the already stationed yes. folks.
0: The force that was coming in were reinforcements, and there were a lot more of them. And so um, by the time morning hits, there's a lot of Minutemen, the, the colonists who were ready in a minute to come protect their lands and and things from the British. And they gathered around together and they kind of had a standoff with the British armies. And that is when, on April 19th, we had the shot heard around the world where somebody let their gun go off and yeah. started the war. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and, and it's another one of those situations where...
0: Nobody, Nobody really knows, knows for sure. Though they do lean more towards, they think it was a British. They
1: they do, soldier. and even the the British general Gage, he had a a letter. I the, I think he was writing back to explain what was happening, you know, to the people in you know England, uh-huh. and he implies that it was probably his troops that fired, even though there were orders. There were not to fire. no
0: orders to fire, and that's where. It could have been an accident. It could have been someone really frustrated. Maybe it was some guy left over from the Boston Massacre who yeah. was really mad. I, we don't know. They,
1: they could have been taunted, hit with snowballs. Like we don't. Nobody <laughs> really knows for sure nobody what happened. Nobody knows, but.
0: except that they did shoot, and that led to more shooting. But what was fascinating is I was under the impression that this was a higher casualty fight. This wasn't as high a casualty engagement that I thought, but it was the very first battle.
1: It was the the first real battle. Right. Because they had, you know, like the Boston Massacre, some people will bring that up, and that was just civilians, and there were five, you know, casualties, but this was the first time armed groups of 100 versus armed groups of 100, and and really it's thousands because I think there were like 1,500 British troops and Ultimately, before the end of the day, I think they said four thousand locals or, or minutemen, but there yeah. weren't four thousand to begin with. No. So when they were we,
0: filtering in. Yeah, when slowly. the troops got
1: to Lexington, they uh, outnumbered the locals by a lot. And there, my understanding is there wasn't much of a conflict there. But by the time they got to Concord,
0: which they just walk. Yeah, it's just a it's few just miles a away, miles. and they're just walking down this road. And there's not even very many homes in that area. Like, this is a very wide open space, and they're just walking. And from what I understand, there were, like, people who were coming but didn't have, like, they didn't know where the group was, so they'd, like, hunker down on vines and stuff and just, like, watch. But they didn't collectively get together until farther down the road.
1: Yeah, so when they hit Concord, there was – a. A major conflict, and at this time the colonists did have a respectable size of force, and and that caused the British to essentially flee. So the British realized that they couldn't win, and they start making their way back to Boston. But the whole way back,
0: the, they're meeting up with all those people who are on the side. Yeah, that yeah.
1: are that that basically start them taking shots from them, from behind mm-hmm. fences and trees and forests. And they just start picking them off. And like you said, there weren't as many casualties Mm -hmm. as you might expect. My understanding is that there were something like 300 people who died in this, both the conflicts, in this whole conflict. And that's not Not a terrible amount, you know. No, not compared to many battles. A
0: conflict. Mm -hmm. but. But this was the start of the Revolutionary War. And that is a totally different war than the War of Independence, not in timeline, but just in intent.
1: Yeah, at in, this an intent, time
0: they're trying to just say, "Hey, Britain, you're being a jerk. Be nice," and they're not saying that they want separation at that point. Now that might have been, you know, tossed around at the um, Convention of Congress, but that but isn't their goal at this
1: point. You can see it in some of their they in in the second continental congress they told all the colonies you need to be ready to start governing yourself and so a lot of them came out with their, their own, own constitutions constitutions mm-hmm. and you can read in some of the constitutions i think in south carolina's they specifically say we we're ready to come back you know once you address these issues we we are ready and we want to come back you know, they, there was no intent of leaving, there was just an intent of we want, you know, our representation, we want to be treated the same. Right. So that was what they were saying, is we want to be treated the same as your citizens over there.
0: Right. And they fought for fifteen months before the declaration of independence was given.
1: Yeah, and, and that declaration of independence so they already they declared war in in July of seventeen seventy five, yep. they declared war and they put what they called the Declaration of the Causes and Necessity of Taking Up Arms. And they this basically said, we're ready to fight you until we get what, you know, until till our demands are, are met, essentially. Until you address these grievances, mm-hmm. we will be taking up arms against you. That was in 1775. So the war was officially started long before the Declaration of Independence. Right. You know, like at least a year.
0: But they had to have been in the works because it takes so much time to get anything done. It's not like they just popped up on the 3rd of July and were like, let's write this Declaration of Independence. So something had to have been in the works already, which is um, for another day. But I find it really fascinating because the tier of people – who were in charge of these decisions were a different tier than many common folk and word didn't spread very quickly in some ways and they didn't want it to like be public knowledge. So it wasn't in the newspapers maybe as much as would have. So I imagine when the Declaration of Independence came out, there was a huge chunk of people that were like, what? (laughs) I And probably why it was so contentious between, British loyalists and the rebels for a long time after that because this wasn't a decision made by the entire country it was made by the people who had a lot of power and status and I imagine that was very shocking
1: yeah I'm sure it was shocking that part of the thing that I thought led up to that Declaration of Independence is that in early uh, 1776 Thomas Paine published his Common Sense pamphlet Mm -hmm. And he makes the argument of
0: But that's for people who could read. It and is that's for people who had access. And I still imagine there's a ton of good stuff in there though. Like
1: Yeah, and, and of what of it basically stuff. is saying is while we're while we got the chance, let's do government the way we want to do government. Rather than just, you know, try and get the British to give us, you know, These rights that we want. Let's just make our own government, and then we can definitely have the rights that we want. So, common sense was just an argument for creating their own government versus waiting. You know, waiting for the the British to change their mind. Which there were a lot of arguments on the British side. It, It they were made. There were several in like 1775 that went before Parliament to say, "Let's give them." representation. Let's give them rights. And they were all voted down. And it, it was really kind of sad because there were, you could see Ben Franklin, I think he sent like personal thanks to several people over in Great Britain and wrote a letter to the people saying stuff along the lines, you know, I want to thank these people for what they did. And I want to explain to the British, we're not mad at you. You know, this is what we're fighting for, or why we're angry. So there there was there were chances for this to maybe have turned out totally different.
0: It's fascinating to watch the way that it unfolds though. Yeah. That,
1: that was one of the things that I thought was interesting too is that in seventeen seventy five King George declared the colonies in rebellion and subject to military intervention. So again, this was not just Massachusetts, this was everybody. Yeah. And one of the things that he said in that, which to me may have triggered the, you know, all men are created equal saying in the Declaration of Independence, but he says that the, essentially the people in America are subordinate to the people in Great Britain. And he said that in a speech, and I think after he said that, that does kind of inflame some of the people who feel like, you know, hey, we were promised that we were regular citizens of, you know, Great Britain and England, and now that isn't. You know, now you're saying that's not true and all your acts and your taxes are treating us differently so it that's what I think kind of led to that Declaration of Independence which they list a lot of their grievances so the, the first part I think a lot of people have heard You know, all men are created equal we hold these truths to be self-evident I think a lot of people have heard that part right. but they also go on to list here's all the things that you've done that that we don't think are acceptable, and here's why we are leaving. So it wasn't a declaration of war. It was telling England, right. we're not coming back. There's nothing you can do. You're not in charge of us anymore. We're in charge of ourselves.
0: Yeah. But after that is delivered, it definitely shifted what the war was about to the British. But I wonder if they could tell. Who you knows? I, I, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew, too.
1: I, in, in my mind, they would have to have known after the Declaration of Independence yeah. that they're not putting down the same rebellion that they were dealing right. with before. So I think before they felt like it was a rebellion and that they could put it down you know, may, right. maybe somewhat easily. And after this, I think they knew this is going to be a full-fledged war. Right. Like this isn't a rebellion. This is a, a war against essentially an opposing country now.
0: Right, because I, you know, we've discussed this before, how this is one of the places where it had different languages and people were from different countries, but for the most part, a lot of the conflict occurred with people who were originally or had close relations to Britain. It wasn't like you came into a different country where people there was a language barrier or there was like, a dramatic education gap. I mean, I'm sure in some ways there were, but it wasn't the same as when they did this in other countries. And so they found a lot of kickback when you are essentially fighting yourself.
1: Yeah, I wish I could remember who said it, but it was something along the lines of, you're not going to be able to have a British citizen convince another British citizen that he should be subordinate. Yeah. Yeah. that's going to be too hard to to do. Like, you can't do that. So it, it, it was really interesting to kind of see not just what led to the revolution, the Declaration of Independence, but also how that stuff made its way into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and into the way we kind of govern ourselves as we were able to see a lot of these things play out and then say... All right, we don't want troops quartered here, and we don't want you know taxation without representation, and we don't want you know you to be able to deny trial by jury, and, and the the way that that played out into the building of the Constitution is also pretty fascinating to me.
0: I'd love to research the different colonies and what happened there, because I do think the stuff that happened in Boston is you know does have a spotlight on it. And I would love to know what happened in the other colonies that made them be like, yeah. this is a good idea. Like, what happened in Georgia? I know that there was probably a lot of <laughs> coercion and, and bullying that happened. But to get people to finally be like, okay.
1: Yeah, it, it's really hard to say because I, I do know there's some stuff. Charleston, South Carolina joined in on one of the uh, boycotts. So when they started oh, boycotting British lot. goods, and there were a lot, uh-huh. like Philadelphia, New York, a, a lot of places were. But I, like you said, like not everybody was in this to the same degree.
0: No, because for a country at the time, this was a large piece of land. It was a large area, and these cities were not huge, even though they were huge for the time. And so there was a, a massive separation between these areas. These places. Yeah, and the,
1: then... there were only about two and a half, two, two and a half million people in the colonies at Total. the time, and the biggest city, I think, in the American colonies was Philadelphia at something like 45,000, wow. and some of these, you know, the whole, the entire population of like the Georgia colony at the time was maybe like 14,000, something like that. Some of them weren't. Boston was 20. What's very Boston big. 20? So, Boston, I think, was around, I think it was less than 20, but it's hard to say because it has so many suburbs that right. you don't know what to count, you know, like Lexington, yeah. Concord, and there's a Charlestown, and there's a whole bunch, and I don't know how they were counting it. I didn't right. get into that, so it, it it's hard to say, but. But, yeah, it is interesting to see the way that they responded and how the different responses were, because you had your people like your uh, Patrick Henry's who were very vocal, and they mm-hmm. use kind of harsh rhetoric, and then you had people li- like Benjamin Franklin, and a lot of his stuff, his rhetoric is not harsh, you know, when, when he's talking to Parliament, and that might be...
0: And that was why he uh, got his jobs that he always got, is he's very good.
1: Yeah, very smart, very, and, and the answers he gave, you know... He, I, I thought in, when he's talking to Parliament in particular, it, it kind of amazes me because I feel like it would be so intimidating to be standing there. The way I understand it, you're basically standing, looking up to all these people who are seated above you uh-huh. and have all this power, and they're asking pointed, heated questions. You know, why aren't you guys liking us more? And he's giving good, solid answers. Yeah. You know, he explains one of the things with the Stamp Act that he said something along the lines of the reason that it's so terrible for us is if you tax something, you know, like tea, for example, we can choose not to drink tea. But with the Stamp Act, you're basically saying anything you want. We can't get married. We can't do this. You, you can take everything we have through these taxes. There's nothing yeah. we can do. We we which, have to. Which,
0: again, is very funny. Which is funny
1: <laughs> to, to modern people going, Oh, wait, so you have to pay a tax? We do for pay everything? a tax. When, when we're I wary. get a car, yeah, I pay taxes uh, <laughs> like three or four times, really.
0: Yeah. Try to find a, something that you're not taxed on. Yeah. It, it's taking it, a breath. Somehow still taxed. Somehow. <laughs> that's
1: right. Somehow. <laughs> somehow, I, somehow
0: I paid half a penny for that breath I took.
1: Oh, that should have been uh, two pennies. Oh, <sighs> shh.
0: Don't tell. <laughs> I held my breath, IRS. I held it.
1: Yeah, I think they say that, you know, like the the difference is now we got representation, which kind of amuses me because what are you going to do? You know, I know. Like, like, you know what? These taxes are ridiculous. Go ahead tell your representative that all day. <laughs>
0: That's right. They're paid every day.
1: That. <laughs> like they don't you will not make any progress. But
0: well, and the trouble is, so as we walk into conversational portions of things is that we have such a large society that we have to have higher taxes because we have more things that need to be done, like roads and schools. Yeah, it's totally different world. It's a different, yes, absolutely different world. But we also have a government set up to be really inefficient. So it's like, I don't know, it's like an engine that (laughs) it <laughs> doesn't run right, but we say, have to that, have an engine. That wasn't
1: the design. Well, <laughs> no. that's not entirely true because the design really was part of the design. Is let's make things a little bit hard so that no, we can't have one tyrant come in and right. mess everything up. So there is some design to put redundancies and you know the checks and balances yes. in, in place. Does kind of make government bigger. You know, like if you just had the one right monarch or autocrat that gets to make rules you could definitely whittle it down but uh
0: well i'm i guess i'm speaking more about like how hard it is to fire somebody
1: oh and and, and the i i think i understand what you're saying uh-huh. cuz i really i totally agree the way i think of it is i'm trying to think of a word besides cruft. you know we we got I don't even
0: know what cruft means <laughs>
1: it, it's just it, it's essentially we got garbage that's been building up Yes. You know, we got all this stuff. Lots of like of
0: scar tissue. <laughs> yeah.
1: We, all, we need to clean out the belly button lid.
0: <laughs> like, it's
1: been a long time since we cleaned the belly button it's lid out of government. It's
0: true, though. It's true. There's a lot of stuff that is still in play from, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago that just isn't relevant anymore and needs shifting. But that's definitely a political discussion. My politics are showing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wonder if you can do anything without some level of politics showing.
0: I It's hard when you're talking about political
1: things. Because like, even with, like, the revolution, hard. when you talk, you know, like, oh, Georgia didn't show up to the first Continental Congress, how dare they? Like, Jerks. you kind of show, you <laughs> like, it, and to me, I always think we're kind of trained in a lot of respects to be, you know, pro-American, and, and I think there's a lot of value to that. There's
0: a ton of value to that.
1: But it does kind of show, you know, like when you're talking about things, like I imagine if you're outside of America and you're talking, oh, the First Continental Congress, Georgia didn't show up, you're not going to have any sort of emotional reaction, <laughs> no. but to me there's a definite That's emotional right. reaction, like even though dummies. I think they probably had good reason, you yeah. know, they don't have conflicts going on like yeah. you've got in Boston, they don't have any of that level, they're not fighting, they're, in fact.
0: They're agricultural, they're, Yes. Almost exclusively, and they want they're making Britain to pretty buy pretty their good money Selling yeah. their stuff to Britain, they don't have to go find. Good, oops, they don't have to go find anybody.
1: Yeah, and they get uh, help fight You know, the, with the Native Americans, they it, they had a good relationship. So it, it does kind of make sense a lot of their 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 stance at the time. But for me, like, it's really hard to. I want people to be in on the revolution. Like this was a, yeah. a big,
0: it's a point of pride. Mm-hmm. yeah. And even as I go through it, and I think, oh, you turds! Like there is being, a lot of that. The equip such a weedy group of people that I'm, but I'm still like, but good for you. Because,
1: <laughs> like t- to me, the Boston Massacre is one of those things that, like, I'm pretty much on the side of yeah. The people of Boston I, were, were that. That was a really crappy. If you thing. had a
0: gun back then. And people were throwing rocks at you, yeah. And and they outnumbered you by a massive amount. I I think, huh? I can I can see how this went poorly. Oh yeah. And yet I'm like, shame on you, like for shooting into this unarmed group of people. who... Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's hard to actually kind of catch some of that stuff in your mind because I really do think the right thing. You know, like when. John Adams' defense of them is pretty spot on.
0: Yeah,
1: like when he's saying, "I, I, I wish I could remember all the words because I read some of the stuff." And he is essentially making an argument. You know, you, if if any reasonable person were in that same situation, like how would which you I not agree. behave like that? Uh-huh. You've You got hundreds of people around you. You got to be and afraid was, for your life, which yeah. you were. There was, was there was a quote that I remember for, that the officer made that was there. Is somebody said. You know, it, if one of your guys fires, you're a dead man. And he says, "I, I know, <laughs> like, like yeah. I I can see what's going on here. Like they they were scared.
0: I and and I would have been. I mean, I'm not a very tough individual when it comes to being surrounded by crowds of people, but I I think I would have been. And so. I, I, I thought, oh, this seems, you know, fairly reasonable that this was the outcome. But I also, again, hate it. I'm like, shame on you. Still, I think you should not have us as people in your country anymore.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of the stuff that really, the first one that drove me home that I, and, and I didn't really know about this before I started looking into it. I thought that the Lexington Concord was the first time that the troops came for,
0: um, the right. weapons. That's and because to find out that the they one if by land, came. two if by sea. I had always thought that meant they were coming from Britain, not coming from Boston. Yeah. I had never known that.
1: And they'd already taken, they'd already taken people's gunpowder and taken people's weapons like mm-hmm. that. That was and the first time. That was basically okay. We know that it's coming now. Let's get organized. So the reason they were called the Minutemen is because they were told, "You got to be ready in a minute." This yep. wasn't. The your first gun time. was they knew above your was door, coming. grab it, Yep.
0: put your coat on, go.
1: Be ready to fight at any minute. minute. And, and the reason was because they had already started doing things that, to me, did cross that line of...
0: Well, they were occupying Boston.
1: They were occupying okay. Boston, and then to, all right, we're taking your weapons, which they took several thousand weapons, and they took the gunpowder from, you know, Quarry Hill and once they do that it's really hard for me to have that level of sympathy for the british side because yes. there's a lot of times you know like the boston massacre where i think the, the american side was the bad side and you could say kind of the same thing yes. the tea party thing i it i didn't know that they were the stuck you know that the, that the ship wasn't allowed to leave Yes, I didn't know that that was the case, and when I found out that the tea party actually made a lot more sense to me, but before I always thought that was another one of the, you guys are acting kind of childish. Like that is a to go dump the tea, like why wouldn't you just tell them to go away? Well, because we tried and that didn't didn't
0: work. I had always thought it was just a blatant act of rebellion. I didn't know that they'd had several meetings trying to figure this out before. I had just thought they're like, oh, we don't like Britain here comes their tea, we're going to throw it in the harbor because they make us pay taxes on it. I didn't realize these taxes had been in place for years, and it was really more, um, wasn't there an element of jurisdictional issues that they were upset about too? Someone had been, was it Samuel Adams?
1: So John Hancock had his his ship taken.
0: Right, and that had happened at a similar time as that, and they're upset about that as well.
1: So, yeah, and, and those are the ones you know. Like, this was not the only thing. And if you read right. through the Declaration of Independence, you, you are going to hear about more things than we talked about. Yes. So some of the things that happened is the British would go and just take people off of ships and say, all right, you're part of our army now.
0: Right. And another reason why that was probably really hard to defend the powder because these guys might have been compelled into their service and they're just like, there's three of us. There's twenty thousand of you.
1: <laughs> yep. So when when <laughs> just the take it, <laughs> you know, the the ship that's got the cannons and the army on it comes and says, "Hey, I want you to. You're now part of us. Your options are pretty limited. Right. You can tell them no if you want, but you don't know what's going to happen because by law they're allowed to do that. Those yeah, are the they're laws. Citi- in a way, they're pants.
0: citizens, even though they're colonists. They're still so directly tied that there is. There is a way they get to do that.
1: And, and what's interesting is it goes back to they don't do that to British citizens either. Like, they treat the colonists differently. And that's, I think, what the big thing with the colonists, the thing that they were really upset about is you promised us that we were going to be the same level of citizenship as the people in England, and now you treat us totally different. We don't get the same industries. So I do I think that there was – there's a lot more to it you know we get to read through and talk about some of
0: these things but it's hard to actually imagine what's going through people's well, minds at the we time we covered 10 years about today in a short amount of time and and so when you take what we had to filter out of what we already know and we get this tiny tiny piece of information but that is what was actually published compared to how much actually probably is you have a tiny, tiny, tiny amount Whoever wrote in a journal or wrote a letter that was actually saved or, you know, was recorded. Other than that, we have no idea. It just wasn't saved. And now you can watch like 400 different views of someone falling down in the street. Yeah. And (laughs) we have too much information now. But back then, it just wasn't saved.
1: It is kind of funny because I think that the context in both cases can be kind of bad is back then you didn't have that many records. All you're getting is, you know, somebody's journal entry potentially. From, yes. But now you get oh however many recordings, but they don't, you don't get the whole story. Like all no, you, you get, get like is what people want seconds. you to see is this is what was the, yes. it, I, and I think in a lot of the cases it like a, in a football analogy you can kind of see, You'll, you'll see plays where somebody like, fouls somebody and they don't get caught, and then the retaliation gets caught. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think, in the, in the modern age, you're not catching the whole thing. You're catching maybe the retaliation the fun, or something. The but, most
0: entertaining portion. Yeah. Yeah. Is all you get, even if it's on the news, you're getting the most eye-catching, entertaining portion of whatever was newsworthy.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that that's its own problem, is yeah. it's a it, it gets people uh, incited and uh, angry about things that I think oh, if you so were able polarized. to take more time to actually understand, you maybe wouldn't be that, at least that same level of angry.
0: Okay, so now I want to ask, what kind of correlations do you see in current America with what you were studying for the revolution?
1: It's, it's hard to me because there's stuff that makes – so in my head, the no taxation without representation. The thing that comes to my mind related to that that's modern is along the lines of what happens in, uh, I'm going to say like our intelligence areas. is We have like in the CIA, the FBI, they get to do things that my representatives in government don't even know about. Yeah. They don't have to tell them. They So if I say, oh, I have a problem with the way, you know, say the Edward Snowden revelations. If I have a problem with that, my representative could not do it. He didn't even know that was happening. Yeah. They're able to do stuff. They're supposed to be running the government, but they don't even know what these branches of government are doing. And there's no accountability. There's no way for your representation to have any say. So... If I personally say, "I want to talk to my representative, I don't think what they're doing is okay. My representative may not even know what they're doing, and they've been able to come before you know Congress, they've been able to go on the media they've been and they've been able to lie and just say, "Oh no, we don't do that," and then when it comes out, "Oh yeah, okay, we do that. We got caught, yes, we do that, but we're doing it for a good reason i to me, that's where I think the no representation thing there's a to me a strong correlation the taxation thing is it's a different world the taxation stuff isn't similar but as far as like the the rhetoric is i see a lot of rhetoric on both sides like right now in my mind you got kind of the the democrats are more the the british empire right now they're the ones in charge and they have the power and a lot of the things that they're doing it seems like they're ignoring Things like I think of the border. Absolutely. So, so you look at what's happening at the border, and you've got all these states and these people saying, "Hey, you've got a problem," and it's just being ignored, Ignored, like completely ignored.
0: It's it is like the British because they're like, "Oh well, I don't see it, so I don't know it, so I'll just dismiss it. It's not in my yard. It's not in so it it doesn't really affect me. I'm going to make these assumptions that these people are just being whiny." I'm going to make these assumptions that these people can't, you know.
1: Whiny is actually probably the nicest way they would have, They a lot of the response, and you could actually, if you go back and read some of the stuff the, that people in Britain were saying about the colonists, is they're calling them names and saying, you know, these are just yeah. dirty commoners. And, and the things, you know, like deplorables and, you know, the when you say, oh, we we got a problem down at the border, oh, you're racist and you're whatever. Yes. Like that sort of rhetoric to me actually does remind me a lot of the revolutionary times is mm-hmm. a lot of the response to these colonists when they're saying, hey, these are the things we don't like, the response from the British side is pretty condescending.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely condescending. There's
1: no, I don't know, I, I'm trying to because think of the right word, but they are they're basically don't want to listen. Like, we're the ones in charge.
0: Yeah, you're just, just stupid a, and uneducated, you'll be fine. Yep. And... <laughs> The border, that's really interesting because I can see that very clearly now because when I was in Boston, it happened to coincide with when they brought the van load of people to uh, Martha's Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. And so it was on the news a lot. And they're like, oh, we do not have space for these people. There are 50 (laughs) people. But when you're at the border, the people who are not citizens is a higher number than citizens in the city. And so it's like, uh, you can't take fifty. Like, and not
1: only that, like, look at the wealth level.
0: Oh my! If I you know, look at you the wealth level, a we house can't. To hold we can't have. <laughs> then who can? The, I know. These Poor people that are I down know. at the border. You should pick another place to take them. Uh We did. It was you. Like you're the one that gets them now. Like, and so it's really funny because Massachusetts is, um, ironically, really, really left-leaning after being so what I would have called right-leaning in this rebellion and so they had declared themselves like a safe haven for these people and even though they show up up, (laughs) and it's like hey we're whining about this because it is a genuine problem we have more than half our population that does not pay taxes that we still have to house that we still and I'm like and that When I'm going through all of the things that led up to the revolution, I'm like, these things are currently happening. You have to quarter these people and you have to decide how you're going to do that. But you have to do it because you can't kick them back out because for some reason. And And, and and it's interesting because there actually are,
1: in theory, there's laws. Every single person who crosses the border illegally, we should be able to deport. By law. Like by they, law. By the fact that they came here illegally. Uh huh.
0: Come here legally. it's a different process. Yeah. But I loved it when Karine Jean Pierre was like, Peter, people don't just walk <laughs> into the country. <laughs> and he's like, Uh, they do by the thousands every day. And she's uh, like, That's not how it works. They don't just walk in. It... And I think you should know that people are just walking in. Like you should know that. Because not only is this a gigantic problem for the states that share a border with Mexico, yeah. but there's video footage. You have literally seen people walking across the border. You've literally seen it.
1: And, and it's not one of those things where they can say, that. well, that's not our jurisdiction. Because right. I it think is. That that's a big right. you know, area where, you can, where a lot of people can say that. Especially, like, to me, a lot of the stuff that gets brought before the president, I kind of just think the the response should be, "Go talk to somebody locals. else." You know, like mm-hmm. when people are bringing up, they I think they did it with Trump, and they're like, "You know, what is your opinion on you know the, these riots or whatever happened?" My response would have been along the lines of, "Go talk to the local police. Go talk to the mm-hmm. local people. Why? That's not my jurisdiction."
0: It, and it but the border
1: security—that's
0: absolutely is literally a national, <laughs> a national issue. When your population of people who are not paying taxes and yet using the things that are taxed or the taxes are used for, I mean, that's a big deal. I think people think that this is a racial issue, which I don't – I think I can see how that plays in. Like, I imagine that there are racial, you know, undertones in a lot of these areas. But I think the main thing is that these people are using resources – including land, including medical, including food, and they're not paying into the larger scheme of things that make you a citizen. Like if you want to come and you want to pay your taxes and help build the roads you're using, ta-da, like come on in, you know. Yeah. But it's it they're not because they're hiding and they don't and it's I don't I don't understand. I really think that there should be some sort of adjustment financially that would make them understand the impact. See,
1: it's one of those
0: things. I uh, have always just kind of been of the
1: opinion, you know, as far as migrants, if you can come here and you can work and you can pay for yourself and you can do whatever, it, it doesn't bother me. No. Even though it's against the law, and I do think there's there's good reasons that these laws exist. And Absolutely. The, the part that bothers me rhetoric-wise is that people on the left are saying, "Oh, you're racist," or yeah. you know, whatever they're saying. And I think every other country in the world.
0: Yeah. If I tried odd. to walk into
1: Mexico and just be like, "I live here now," <laughs> the, they, the Mexican <laughs> like, government nope. will be like, "All right, show me your papers, yeah. show me your identification." And and we do the same thing, and they go, "Oh, you're well, racist. you're racist." And, and, and like, I think, uh. everybody's doing this. This isn't a racial <laughs> no, thing. This
0: and has the only to reason th- that, that it's
1: more true with like Mexico than. Like a, a lot of other countries, like a lot of Eastern Europeans would probably love to come here, but they can't.
0: Walk they can't here. walk here, and and it is it's an influx from South America, Central America. It's not just Mexicans, yeah. But they walk the entire way, which is kind of amazing.
1: It blows my mind yeah. in a lot of cases. And
0: truly, if you want to come here that bad and you're willing to work that hard. You know, you're the kind of citizens America wants. You know, it, that's great, but it's like you still have to do it the proper way because you have an entire country of people who are, you know, getting their social security number, which by the way, my social security number has been stolen by an illegal immigrant, which is very frustrating. And they used it for healthcare situations. And I think you want me to say, that's okay because you needed it, but you stole from me and you yeah. caused problems for me and you didn't even care and if you'd have just done things correctly, that you would have, have had happened. whatever you needed and I wouldn't have been you know uh, what
1: put out, you put know, out like there's a lot of time of. and effort and not only that like the the big thing for me is like there's psychological impacts when you get your stuff right. stolen.
0: You stole my identity it, yeah you took it sucks. that from me and you used it cuz you didn't want to do things the right way. That's not my fault. That's your fault. And so I do have a bit of a of a thing about that. You know, just come in just do it the right way and there are limits because there's there's limits to our society and what we can handle for influx.
1: Oh, it's true. And I think one of the big arguments that some people make and I, and I totally understand this now. Like I it we have our own population in America of what we would call maybe like low skill workers, and they're the ones that when these you know immigrants come in and they do take jobs yep. that that's whose jobs they're taking yes. or they take it for less money, which drives down and it's one of the things that I never really understood is you've got a lot of people saying, oh you know we should have unions so that these poor people are getting paid, whatever well, the influx of my you know migrant mm-hmm. workers lowers all their pay so all these people saying you know unions are important to keep these people you know having respectable pay in these jobs well this policy you know (laughs) having some other policy that keeps out you know the migrant workers who come in and take the jobs for cheap it would also help
0: economy it's supply and demand and when your supply is so high that and and you don't have enough jobs for that then it it messes up the people who still have to use that extra money to pay for taxes and still have to use that extra money to pay for medical care yeah. and, and things like that like it there is a reason and it's not a terrible reason it's a it's a reason of logic and a, and it's not a reason of racism it's a reason of of finances and and availability of goods and i i am astonished that the current um I don't want to say regime. (laughs) (laughs) The the current presidency is making this an emotional racial issue. To say, "Oh no, you're just you're just a bad person because you don't want all these people to come." I don't want all these people to come because there's no place to house them, and there's no you know I that and I'm getting tongue tied. But the the financial things behind them. If they want to come, sure. If you're willing to walk, again, across several countries to get here, man, you can be my neighbor. Like, that sounds great. But, uh, I don't know. One of the things that I've
1: thought for a long time is what I would like to see is you got all the people standing outside Home Depot that are like, hey, I'll do your yard work or whatever. I would like to see, we'll, we'll take those guys in and we'll get rid of the guys who are standing there with the cardboard signs saying just give me money.
0: That's right. Like let's so do a trade. I'll who... take
1: the guy who works any day of the week That's right. over the other one. But the no problem other is it's not legal. Like I would them. love to make that trade. <laughs> because it's I was It's
0: true. Who what kind of crazy police force would we have to invent for that? To I be would like love I like to this guy. That. He's willing to work. You're not you you go.
1: <laughs> the guy who just stands there and says, "Hey, just give me some money." Yeah, I would much rather have the guy who's like, "I'll, I'll do the work," you know. And, and it's yeah. not like they're getting paid a ton. No,
0: either. and they're working hard. Yeah, they, they do all the worst hard. work,
1: which is one of the things that yes. I always thought with 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 migrant workers. I I feel bad. Like yeah. to me, we're exploiting people. Like uh, the people who are are bringing in these migrant workers and paying them. Like, and,
0: but they're dirt. happy to be exploited. And that's what's it, different. It
1: is different. Uh-huh. It, and, I, and I totally get that, but I, right. it still upsets me, yes. especially when I see it, like, like Donald Trump made me mad when he was like, we got these the problems, you know, migrants coming over, taking people's jobs, and then he's hiring them at low wages to work at his place. Yeah. And I think, like, that's a, a double like, standard <laughs> that just makes Hypocrite. me so mad.
0: <laughs> but it's so hard because what do you do? I don't know. If you have a company, and, you know, I can understand, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand why the company wants, you know, to make the most. If you're running (laughs)
1: the books and somebody's like, you can either pay, you know, $500 or you can pay $200 to get the same
0: thing, which do you want to do? Sometimes you even get a better worker. Sometimes you don't. Like, there are really, you know, good quality workers in every area of life. But, you know, you, you go to fast food place right now and you've got the teenager who literally is on their phone and you're like, hey, you're only here for, like, you're part time. We know it. Like, yeah. you go to school. Like, come on. But they can't. There's no work ethic in a lot of people. And so to have people who have work ethic is great. But then you also have, of course, the layers of people who come in to commit crime and bring drugs. And, and that is another issue that is heartbreaking and overwhelming. And probably for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's huge. One of the things I saw when I looked through this is the rebellion. Because I would say we're at a fairly rebellious time in recent history in recent history yeah you go back farther
1: for, for my lifetime this yes. is as bad as it's ever
0: been right and I imagine like if you go back to the 60s which is before my time yeah. you've got some some pretty inventive things
1: oh did you did you know in the 70s in, in like 1970 every day I think there were like two bombs going off
0: no I didn't know it, that. it is crazy look it, that up I, <laughs> I want to know more about It's nice to know that that's chilled out.
1: Uh, Let's see.
0: Terrorist bombings America in the 1970s. I know that. Whoa. So that one I think is like a.
1: (laughs) Global thing. That was global. And what it was,
0: it was a graph that showed the number of terrorist attacks. And in 2010, it, it skyrocketed from the historical data that was there. It just shot up maybe like five times what was recorded before. But I know they had a lot of liberation armies. They did. And hundreds of bombs during the 1970s. Whoa. Oh, another bombing! Who is it this time?
1: <laughs> so here's one. In a single eighteen month period between seventy one and seventy two, the FBI counted twenty five hundred bombings oh. on American soil.
0: That's in almost one year. five
1: a day, five a day.
0: So this is from Time Magazine, um, and the article is called "Bombing of American Borough."
1: Whoa! And, and yeah, so there were definitely times that were, I think, more volatile and and then right now we just weren't there we just weren't there so in you know from my perspective from my life like the stuff that's going on right now is the worst i've ever seen but i know that historically if you go back to the 60s and early 70s things were also pretty you know bad
0: I, i venture to to guess that it wasn't a large portion that it was small groups. Yeah. And here, I think now, we've really hit large groups where we are divided in a larger group section. I,
1: I would kind of agree. And it really it, it really bothers me because to me, a lot of it falls along like the political party lines. And it does I'm, right now. I'm a huge believer that our political parties are part of the problem, that, that it would be a lot better... Number one, if we didn't even have any, like if everybody just ran, this is what I believe and what I think, the problem is I think you would just naturally form parties. Political
0: and, parties, because there's too many people. Yeah, there's too you many people. To, you and, have to
1: and, off. And you, to, to get things done, you know, when, when you have that republic style where you're bringing in, okay, we got the, this number of representatives, we need to get 60% to vote, you have to work with other people. And naturally, things are gonna. And you have to give form, and take. But, yes. But it it really does bother me the way people, in my mind, essentially just give up their own thought process to their party.
0: Well, some people are happy to do that. Some I think people some people, people are, but I, I, in it. my mind,
1: I just think then just like don't vote, like don't, just just bow out rather than just say I'm gonna give you you know just just don't. Like, just let the,
0: see, the, I'm the process on the side, happen. And I'm like, just research for a minute. <laughs> uh,
1: I totally agree with that, but I know that a lot of people
0: won't but do it that. it doesn't take that much time. No. Like, when I get my ballot, because mine is mailed to me, I will sit down with my ballot in front of the computer and check everything. I will, you know, if it's a judge, I check and see if there's something about the judge that I shouldn't like. Like, did something terrible happen? Nope. Okay, well... We're good. Whereas a lot of people are like, I don't know. Yep. (laughs) And then.
1: Never heard of this guy. Let me see what the, does he have an R or a D next to his name? Uh,
0: Yeah. But to have, to have, you know, when they're changing laws in your area, I absolutely want to research that. I absolutely want to know what they're trying to get out of this and if it's going to be a good idea or not. Um, Where I'm from, they had a property tax increase because they want to rebuild a bunch of schools. And I was like, I would, I can't just, I need to know where this money is going. I want to know how old the schools are. I want to know, you know, and and I I had to know it. I had to research it before I yes or note it because some of these schools, like in another area, um, there was an earthquake. Well, the schools are damaged. They have to be rebuilt. And so there's, but to say, oh, I don't want my taxes raised. Well, then you're stuck with a broken school in this neighborhood until you do. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I don't know. So I I, I, wish everybody would research. I,
1: I wish we had people that we could have more faith in. Yes. Because if you had faith in your government officials, Yes. If a government official came to me and said, you know, we, we need to raise your taxes because we need to build these schools. If I had faith in him, I would just believe he's going to do the right thing. Right. With a lot of people now, I, I don't believe it. Whatever they say,
0: I don't believe them. Well, I, do you think that partially it's because things have just gotten so big? So, like, you know, I think of the workload of somebody who's the mayor of a large city and saying the decisions that are required for him to make, I know he has, like, you know, different people helping him, but he has to yes and no and yes and no so many things that it's like, maybe we've outgrown this style of representation.
1: I actually think that there might be a lot to that is, Mm -hmm. and part of the issue, too, is when you have, say, like, the representative style and you have committees and you have whatever, that can do the same you know problem is, is to get anything passed through you don't have to convince one guy you got to convince you know 20 yeah. people or, or whatever and I, I think there can be some definite problems there but i i always to me worry that the cost of the the potential tyranny that could happen it's it might be worth doing that but i don't i don't know cuz i i look at some of these places like uh you know new york san francisco they've got their own issues that they deal with and sometimes they either will go with like a really laid back approach like in san francisco i think with their homeless people i I, I think what are you doing like this is so ridiculous everybody in the entire world should look at what you're doing and go okay this is what you should not do
0: this was the bad choice
1: and and in in new york they've had you know kind of Opposite instances where they've done some pretty heavy-handed things, you know. All right, we're gonna do, you know, frisk and whatever uh, stuff. Stop and we'll frisk. just frisk whoever we we want just to make sure they don't have weapons because they're trying to deal with things. And right. sometimes you worry, oh, that heavy-handed response—that's too much. And to to try and balance that, I don't I don't know how you do it, but sometimes it seems like the people we've got doing that are either incompetent or
0: well, they might be overloaded, too. Or
1: overloaded might be might be the problem. You know, if
0: you run for mayor, maybe you have to do that as a group of three. <laughs> we're like, we three are running for mayor. I he's going to be in charge of this part. I'm going to be in charge of this part. She's going to be over that. And we're the mayors. Like
1: This is no advocacy for Joe Biden in any way. But in my <laughs> mind, Joe Biden is, is a mascot. Yep. Like, he's just the guy that stands up and, but mumbles, he doesn't make any decisions. Part of think, like, <laughs> maybe that's what we need. You know, like, rather than have your, we, your, your mayor of San Francisco is just going to be the guy who stands up and cuts ribbons and, you know, speaks at parties or whatever, but then there's a whole group of people who actually do all the work. Like, the, I
0: don't know, it doesn't seem to be working. It, it isn't, and that's the problem. <laughs> is
1: the Okay, maybe this. And I, okay, so wait, the example I gave kind of makes it seem like that's a bad
0: idea. You can't just walk across the border. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody it's would just do
0: that. <sighs>
1: but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how to solve. Any it of the is real problems so massive. but it does seem to me like things We are need getting... a
0: Continental Congress.
1: We, d- we need a Continental Congress. There was something that uh, one the, the second John Adams once said uh, that I always thought was kind of applicable nowadays is if you ever get to the point where people are so mad and you know, we're we're about ready to break up as a country, everybody just needs to step back and then get back together we're and say, sure. all right, what do we have to do? Like, what would what would we have to do?
0: Could you imagine at this moment in time if there were a collection of upper elites getting together, making a new constitution for us, and we didn't even know, just like I, back here.
1: <laughs> wouldn't that be, like, amazing to find out, like, the, the, you know, like just in a month they just come out and say, here's people. what we decided.
0: <laughs> we're going to create a just, new world order for you weren't country. worth bringing into the conversation
1: <laughs> so You're we just decided it, part of <laughs> it that's you know happening
0: well it did already <laughs> you know back in 1775 1774 but it was it was it, it is kind of funny to think about if it would happen right now and what they would do and whose side i would be on like because i definitely have a side and so if the other side is like, yep, we've changed things, I'd be like, uh, uh yeah. yeah, let's see. I, I'm not joining this until you give me a bill of rights.
1: <laughs> I, I'm a big bill of rights guy. Yeah, like, those that, were. That's a huge one for me. I, it was
0: nice that a few people and representatives weren't on the table until we got those. But I don't think the intention was ever to make it be big. And so I think that's why they had the most basic of documents, and then they realized they needed more. But, whoa, because nobody would care what I thought if they wanted to start a new government. <laughs> Just me. That's I a little bit, care. It's a little bit sad to think that, you
1: know, it's, it's definitely true. Yeah. But, like, how many people would you have to get?
0: And, yeah, and who would qualify as being like, we want you over here. And you're like, what kind of qualifications would I need to be able to be in that (laughs) new continental congress like what would i what kind of education would i need to have good speaker like wouldn't it be nice if
1: if we were able to actually pick good people to do that instead of like right now i feel like most of our politicians aren't picked on their ability to do anything but more well on on either their rhetoric or their you know social media presence or whatever
0: I also think that people are passionate about A, right? And so they're like, hey, everybody, I'm passionate about A. I'm passionate about B. And so they get elected, and then they have to deal with the entire rest of the alphabet that they're not really that passionate about. And then everyone's like, but you're passionate about A. And they're like, I don't care about R. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and I imagine that they have to keep up appearances to make it seem like they are as passionate about R as they were about A. And I imagine that's hard and exhausting.
1: I'm sure there's so much exhausting because what I think would be most exhausting, and, and it again goes to the fact that you've got these political parties, is that once you get in, you're kind of tied to your party.
0: Yeah, you and see what you, happens when if you cross vote lines. Against, you know, yes. it,
1: you you see it now. Anybody who's crossing party lines gets called out. Oh yeah, like oh, you just crossed. The, you didn't vote with the your party.
0: I'm like no, because I thought this was no, a no, because I idea. have my <laughs> own independent
1: thoughts going on <laughs> in right. here, and
0: sometimes I have... and they elected me for my independent thoughts, and
1: yeah.
0: they will unelect me if they don't like them.
1: Uh, which may not be true. Like that's actually something that I really wonder about because this last election, they're saying that people have never been more unhappy with their oh, yeah, government. It was weird. But if you look, weird, all the same people got elected. All the people that were in, you know, the these Republican Democrat seats in all these places yeah. got reelected.
0: Like, oh yeah, the
1: reelection rate was you have was massive crazy.
0: interest. I mean, inflation. You have major social issues. You've got so many things that people are like, oh, this is awful. Let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> to, <laughs> to me, a
1: lot of it simply is there's nobody else. They don't know what else to do. Like, nobody
0: knows. Well, I th- I truly think it's because they refuse to cross their party To cross lines. the party. That they're like, oh, yeah, well, I hate it. But, oh, my gosh, what if that guy's in, you know – well, do a little five-minute search online and see if you agree with anything that guy says. Maybe, maybe it's not so bad.
1: Yeah, I would love to see something along those lines that's closer to just the, just the party boating. Yeah. just blows my mind because I I hate it. But
0: yeah, I I I always like to individually, like I said, research the people. Pick what's best. And I find that time. But that can be really hard
1: because a lot of the stuff, especially like the lower you go, the more local and the more small, you know, you go, your level of information gets lower and lower to the point where you're just reading somebody's pamphlet about their, themselves. Their bio in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a really great person and that's about I, all you can find is somebody you. endorsing themselves.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I heard he was a really great person. <laughs> He told me on his pamphlet in the mail. That's right. <laughs> it's It's imperfect, but I do have to say that even with its imperfections, I think this is a great form of government. I think it's lovely that we get to sit here and have a discussion about it and know that we can just go on with our lives after yeah. and we're not in trouble. Uh, and We could
1: say... Honest things like I dislike this about my government where yep. I, you know, wish that our, my government would do this and we can say that yep. is is a huge blessing that not everybody has.
0: And I would, you know, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about other countries and whether or not they are different run, you know, if there's another yeah. one out there that's better than this. I kind of just think most governments have, their flaws because it's so ginormous and there's so many different personalities. But I don't know. I think it would be fascinating to see if there's anything out there that beats this because, I mean, there might be one or two, but I kind of think this is a really good one.
1: I I think this is a really good one. And, uh, like, I have a lot of complaints about things, but I, I really do, I honestly believe this is the best time to be living in the history of the world.
0: Oh. Like, when we are so of, lucky. They knocked down the number of people living in poverty. Yeah. So it went from one And in, changed
1: the definition of poverty.
0: Yeah. To, to something that has <laughs> never meant poverty ever in the history of time. It was, that was a successful level of living before, and now they're saying, oh, anything below this successful level of living is poverty you're like hey in, in across the entire world
1: yeah and, and it, it really is pretty amazing and the progress is is like mind-blowing in a yeah. lot of cases to see the you know the, the poor people now have electricity and phones and tvs and
0: in america
1: yeah in america
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and It's growing worldwide, like worldwide every year. And that's how they knocked
0: down the number. Was worldwide? They knocked it down from one in, however many, to one in. I think it was one in five to one in four. But I, I I know I have my numbers wrong. But they knocked down the number to, I'm sorry, one in four to one in five. (laughs) The the good way. They knocked it down the good way. As soon as I thought about it for a second, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't have it right in front of me, and I can't remember. I know those are the wrong numbers, but I know that it's less. It's fewer people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the amount of people that go, you know, hungry has gone down yes. significantly. The, yep. it, there's.
0: I, I imagine with our stuff in America that that might be shifting as... You know, they threaten that a, a new recession is coming in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what
1: that will end up looking like. Looking like, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the the truth is, I I think the inflation is is really bad, and I oh. think it's worse than say you know like the, the Democrats. I think are trying to hide it, and the yes. Republicans are trying to expose it. And
0: uh, I, I just, just go just to the grocery of, store, just because there's a power
1: you know thing yes. behind it. But but it it's it seems pretty bad.
0: It is. But when at the I, same
1: time, like, people are getting eat. food. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a, that's yeah. amazing. We should be happy.
0: Because if if you look at my food budget, which I, I know, I know my food budget from last year. I know it from the year before that. And I know it from this year. And I can assure you I am paying well over 30% more for groceries than I was 20 years, I mean, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> over 30%. <laughs> probably 50%. <laughs> I have not added anyone to my family. I have not anything in those years and yet I am spending. I mean even Christmas this year I spent I made a, a a thing with myself to say, "Hey, I'm doing a smaller Christmas this year." And I did, and it cost me a third more than it did last year. And I'm like, "How did this happen?" Like you can't you can't convince me that the number is 9% it's 9% every freaking month, I bet. <laughs> like, you can't convince me because I don't have the yeah. same buying power that I had last year. Like, I just don't have it.
1: The, the thing that bothers me is I think, why is anybody trying to convince people that it's not the way that it is? Yeah, like, everybody goes the, the way. That, what people are doing, are they're just playing games yes. rather than. Let's look at the truth and try and figure out what the best
0: thing to do is. Nobody cares what the truth is anymore. Well, I have been kind of a nerd for watching press conferences since 2000. And I have seen how it has shifted from, uh, I'm going to phrase this in a way that makes it sound better and doesn't deny it, to blatantly denying it. I've never seen this before in 22 years.
1: See, and I haven't paid attention for that long, but what I see now is, is literally that the, the press conferences are just such a waste of time. Like, They're there is laughable. no truth coming out of any of those. None. There,
0: it, and, com- it's, and it's written, like, if you go to the presidential level, it is written in a notebook. So she is reading her answers, which means she is not making yeah. this up. It has been given to her to make this up. And as much as I, you know, think a lot of what is said over that particular pulpit is, like, funny, but it's terrifying to think that the official word, not even the interpreted word of the official, but the official word is a blatant lie. Like, that's terrifying. to me.
1: It, it, it blows my mind. And I have no idea what to do because, like, I kind of feel like it, it, if you go back and look at, like, say, like, Trump's presidency, you could see a lot of the same sort of thing where they ask questions and, fake well, news. yeah, fake news <laughs> or whatever, and and now it, it it's a little different. Like, it really is, like, mind-blowing to me to watch them say things like inflation. Now they're... There's inflation's no inflation. not bad. We're like, not in a
0: recession.
1: totally fine, and then they, you know, just move on.
0: They changed the literal definition of a recession yeah. so that they wouldn't be in a recession. That's terrifying. Like, to, and nobody bats an eye. They're That's the like, part <laughs> that blows my mind. Because I totally
1: understand why they would do yes. it, because it helps them stay in power. Uh-huh. But and why did. the heck is it anybody... <laughs> Listening to this. Like everybody knows they're lying and rather than say we don't want liars in here. No. We say, Oh, liars are better than the evil evil people on the other side. That's that's what it is. And And to me, that's both sides. Yes,
0: I was gonna say. I was like, I feel like that's exactly why people were okay, you know, with Trump. I think I think there was a small sliver that just, you know, idealized him and created this whatever but I think there's a huge section that was like well yeah he's super annoying and he's very very rude and he's this but your side's dumb and then they elect him and you're like well you know what you're right yeah (laughs) both sides are so stupid and everybody just goes along with it based on what side they're on
1: Yeah, it it, it blows my mind because, like, when I get into my most tinfoil hat conspiracy (laughs) theory sort of things, in my head, if you were to come and tell me that there are forces, you know, outside of, you know, anything outside of normal known groups that are trying to see what they can get away with and how dumb they can make people look, (laughs) I would totally believe that.
0: Oh my word! Like I
1: honestly like when when Trump (laughs) became president, that was one of the things. Like I just how how does this happen? How
0: did that happen? It doesn't make sense to me, and
1: and I I still don't get it. Although I've talked to several people, and their explanation why they like Trump is basically they they feel like he's the only one who would stand up and doesn't care what people say.
0: It's true, and and I can see why that was impressive to me. And I can see why he actually did stuff and got stuff done and was like, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just going to do it. Like, I could see how people like that. But everything else was so loud. Yeah. <laughs> it so,
1: and it, and it blows my mind. And the same thing, the current administration. Yeah. I, like, I just, if you were to tell me that somebody's putting them in place just to see how stupid and silly, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll vote for that guy again. Like, I, I can't even imagine how, how would you justify voting for Joe Biden in the next election?
0: Like, I they, c- cannot comprehend that. I know. And and to have him even be considered to run again is one of those things where I'm like, what? Like, uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, he should be declaring his candidacy any time. And I'm like, no, he should take a nap. Like, He should take a nap. Set this man out to pasture. He's worked long enough. He's done enough. Let yeah. him enjoy his senior years and not wonder how to get off a podium every time he has to stand on one. Like, come on, you guys. Find somebody else. And if you cannot find somebody better than a man with dementia, then there's bigger problems in your party. It, it is insanely true. And and I, and I think the same
1: thing with Trump is, is to me. Yes, but I don't
0: think he will
1: be picked. I don't think he will be. Mm-hmm. Although I, I still don't know. It's like true. It's it, it hard really to does <laughs> seem to me, he, he seems way more bulletproof than I ever would have thought.
0: I never thought he'd have made it the first time.
1: I I was amazed, and mm. in, in fact, it was another one of those things that when I you know the the tinfoil hat conspiracy things is I honestly thought he was a plant. You know, like this this he's not a Republican. He doesn't care anything no. about this. He's just a plant to get in there and then essentially. He it,
0: was. It, it was just his own.
1: <laughs> it it, it kind of felt that way. Yeah. But it, I don't know. It's really hard for me to make any sense of what's going on with any of the political stuff right now.
0: Well, it always has fascinated me as I watch, you know, the presidential debates and to see who filters out to to stand in the end. Because some, some people I really like. I really liked Ben Carson. Do you remember Ben
1: Carson? I, I do remember Ben Carson. There was one thing he said that I thought was just like super silly, but he right. seemed like a, a, a reasonable choice right. to me.
0: And, but when you run out, and I don't know if there was another thing I can't remember, but when you run out of funds but you're a better candidate, I, I hate that that's a reason why you're left behind. I feel like absolutely you should be picked because you're a better candidate. And, again, I can't remember if there were other things that happened. It's been a while. But, yeah, I, I feel like that's unfortunate. Whoever ends up at the end is always a surprise to me, except Mitt Romney, whom I very much liked. <laughs> it was a surprise to everybody else, and I was like, I like this guy. He's he's going to clean up Washington. I wonder if
1: that's even possible. <laughs>
0: I think he could have because I have a very vivid imagination, so I can I can picture it having happened.
1: See, and my thought is, it, it like that was one of the things that Donald Trump ran on, and and I think he did do some things that potentially could have you know helped uh, get rid of some of the bureaucratic you know crap that we have to deal with. But,
0: but answer me this: Everybody hated Mitt Romney. Because he was a rich white man who didn't pay all of his taxes, and they didn't think he could, you know, understand the average citizen. And then the very next Republican elected was Donald Trump,
1: who
0: was a very rich man who absolutely does not understand everybody. And, I mean, I can understand. He is the
1: craziest populist pick that I can even imagine, because... This is a guy who has, you know, the, these five star hotels that won't even let, you know, oh, working people class in. people in. Yeah, and he's the working class hero. Yes, and I just can't even understand how he, he
0: wore a hat, a, a red hat with with make America great again. And I thought I saw someone put it on his head, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's gonna he's gonna have that man killed, <laughs> like put this red hat on him. And no, it was him. He yeah. He marketed himself to the people he refuses to affiliate with, and they loved him. It was astonishing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it blows my mind because I totally get like the Bernie Sanders populist. Yes, thing. I totally understand. I understand why
0: they like him.
1: That because he, in my mind, even though I think to me he's a rich man, like yes. he's a he's crazy rich yeah. compared to me but he really seems like a man of the people. It, I Whereas believe Donald that he Trump believes what he says. Like he is a, a man for himself willing to use the people. Ab- oh. <laughs> and, and and I think that that a oh, lot of no. the people didn't care. Like a lot of people were like you you know do whatever as long as you do what you say you're going to do, I don't care. Yeah. And, and I can totally understand that argument, but as far as the uh he he had that populist kind of following that just, I, I don't understand. I, I was amazed that what I always thought would, would happen is that somebody would come in and say, whatever Donald Trump's policies are, I'll do it. I just won't sound like him or tweet like yes. him or do anything. So vote me. You'll vote get the same me. thing done,
0: but I'm, you won't have to listen loud. to this stuff. <laughs> and junior highest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you won't have Twitter fights going on with uh, the nuclear dictators. <laughs> oh
0: I mean, so there's a theory out there that says there's a lot of psychopaths in the world, and a lot of them end up being like CEOs. Yeah. And I was like, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think a psychopath necessarily means that you're gonna break a bunch of laws, but I could see it. I, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I
1: want. You know, that to be the case, but I can see why that might be the case.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Well, off we've gone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and after that, I think that'll probably uh, wrap us up. up. Thanks, everyone. See you. Bye.